You're listening to Monocle on Saturday, first broadcast on the 15th of October 2022 on Monocle 24. Hello there, it's Emma Nelson here, broadcasting to you live from Midori House in London. This is Monocle on Sunday. Welcome. Joining me around the table, the Australian journalist and regular Monocle 24 voice, Latika Burke, is going through the press and the print. Latika, hello, what have you found? Emma, there's only one story in town today, and that is the perilous grip that Liz Truss uh, has on the Prime Ministership following the sacking of her Chancellor, Kwasi Kwarteng, and the installation of Jeremy Hunt, one of her former leadership rivals. You couldn't make it up. Latika, thank you. Also ahead, our contributing editor, Andrew Muller's here to go through the week's Stranger News. We learned that the Alex Jones did nothing wrong t-shirt is reduced from $29.95 to $4.95 and that a waiting list has opened up for Jones Wake Up America Patriot Blend Coffee. Organic coffee, it says here, which sounds a bit fancy pants, book-learning, highfalutin, liberal elite to us. Thank you, Andrew. And last but by no means least, Monocle's David Stevens joins us live from the Utopian Hours Festival in Turin. That's all ahead here on Monocle on Saturday with me, Emma Nelson. But first, a look at the headlines. NATO is to launch its annual nuclear exercise Steadfast Noon on Monday. Up to 60 aircraft will take part in training flights over Belgium, the North Sea and Britain. The aim is to practice the use of US nuclear bombs based in Europe. At least 28 people have died and dozens are trapped underground after an explosion in a coal mine in northern Turkey. The media mogul Rupert Murdoch has started a process that could reunite his media empire, News Corps and Fox Corps, and tributes have been paid to Robbie Coltrane, the Scottish actor known most prominently for his role as Hagrid in the Harry Potter films. He's died at the age of 72. That's a look at the headlines. Now, let's talk about what's happening in the papers. Well, I'm delighted to say Latika Burke's coming with a stack of notes, a stack of papers, fresh-eyed, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. Good morning, Latika. It's hard to sleep through these troubled times, Emma. <laughs> no, that's the only thing I'm doing. It's, Every time I it's don't know just what gripping, to do. watching the live drama that is the UK government play out real time. It's bonkers. What I've always find is that and I don't know about you, but I, I have said this time and time again on the, on the radio that just when you think it couldn't get more nuts, it's got more nuts. Um, and uh, we've had, what, four chancellors in four months now. Really useful in the middle of a financial crisis. As, 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 the, as the meme going around puts it, uh, worst calendar ever. <laughs> June, July, August, September, how, a new Chancellor every month. How have you been? How's, how, how's work been? I mean, has it been literally sort of like nail-biting stuff the whole time? Yeah, I have to say it's sometimes extremely hard to get Australian readers interested in UK politics, not necessarily events in the UK, but just the actual political dramas. This one they are utterly gripped. I have never had so many messages from the Australian cabinet ministers asking WTF. <laughs> and I mean, you have to remember the current government in Australia is the the pioneers of this political well, chaos and instability. Pots, so pots and kettles did come to mind. With yes, that one. it's a little like uh, the UK has said, "Hold my beer and my wine and my scotch and my schnapps. We'll show you Australia how to do this this chaos." <laughs> 
<laughs> right. How do we unpick this? Shall we just have a quick recap of what happened yesterday? <clears throat> it all happened quite quickly. Yes. Every news reporter came on just saying, well, it's been a torrid, rapid you know, breathtaking whistle stop 24 hours. There, there was always a, a, a an adjective to describe the fact that everything happened very quickly and it was all quite surprising. Or maybe we should roll back 48 hours when uh, the Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng was at um, was in New York or Washington, I can't remember which one, uh, Washington at the IMF meeting, uh, sitting next to the Bank of England saying, I'm staying here, I'm absolutely fine, nothing wrong. And then he was plonked, who's plucked from the meeting, dispatched to the Red Eye back to London. And when he landed wasn't Chancellor anymore. Yeah, I think that's a good place to start this. And there's a really great piece in The Guardian this morning about how three women sealed Kwarteng's fate. And this all kicked off as Kwasi arrives in Washington for the IMF meeting. And it begins by saying that the head of the IMF was making it very, very clear that she was not at all impressed with this fiscal plan, a lack thereof that the UK government had come up with. Um, And then Andrew Bailey is also at this meeting and he makes the point that they are trying to obviously curb inflation at the same time the government is accelerating spending, thereby fueling inflation. Janet Yellen also takes Kwarteng aside, gives him her view, which, again, some might say is a little pot kettle black, but don't forget that the the US does issue the reserve currency, so it's not quite the same as the the predicament the UK finds itself in having crashed the pound a couple of weeks ago. And you know you you know things are tough when Janet Yellen's taking it to one side saying, steady on here. This Indeed. isn't right. Indeed. And so, of course, the final nail in the coffin is when uh, the final female steps in to this drama and it's one Liz Truss, his former best friend. Don't forget they co-wrote this budget. In fact, they co-wrote the blueprint for this many, many years ago together. Uh, this was very much as much Liz Truss's plan as Quasi Quateng's. But she calls him home. He is sipping champagne. Actually, not champagne. He's sipping English sparkling wine at the ambassador's residence in Washington. Gets the alert to come on home. He jumps on the last plane out of Washington that night. Arrives in the UK to be fired. Uh, other yeah. reporting suggests that he first learnt that he was going to be sacked, actually, by reading it online rather than being told uh, by the Prime Minister. So he was sacked uh, yesterday. Then Jeremy Hunt, who was... Now, I I don't think our listeners need too much of a recap on Jeremy Hunt, but he's been a former Cabinet Minister, former Foreign Secretary, a former Health Secretary, former Education Secretary, and also of course, ran against Boris Johnson for the leadership, which he lost because, of course, Boris Johnson was a lever saying, I'll get Brexit done. Jeremy Hunt, of course, was a Remainer. Um, Fast forward a couple of years, Jeremy Hunt tried to have a go uh, for the, the leadership in this most recent round and didn't really get anywhere near the final kind of a grouping. But he is the man that Liz Truss has called up to replace Kwasi Kwarteng. And he's in Brussels enjoying a holiday with his wife and receives the call from Liz Truss, would you like to become the Chancellor? He hops on the next Eurostar, gets back to London, takes on the job, and he's already been hitting the media airwaves this morning defending this government, which if you look across all the papers, it doesn't matter which way they lean, right, left, centre, straight, they all declare Liz Truss as a leader hanging by a thread. Absolutely. I think time's up is a thing that's been um, been 
doing the rounds. Everybody. I mean, if you look at the front page of, I think it's the FT, Trust Sachs Kwarteng in big to save Premiership. This was the thing, wasn't it? They, 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 um, Kwarteng and Trust presented themselves as a united front. Kwarteng reportedly as clever as they come. High flyer at Cambridge did all the right things, desperately, desperately, self-assured, I think, perhaps might be a good way of describing him. And yet Liz Truss is prepared to chuck him under the bus in order to keep her her power, but for how long? Just as an aside, have you heard the, the joke that was doing the rounds yesterday about Kwasi Kartang on the aeroplane? Yeah. No one wanted... He was he was turned away from business and turned away from the economy because no one wanted him to go near it. Near either, yes. It's, um, a, very, it's a very good uh, very good quip. Let's look at Jeremy Hunt. I mean, it... it Okay, so so we need to backtrack a little bit about the man who is now in charge of Britain's finances. He was wildly unpopular as the um, health secretary a few years ago. He was credited, if that is such a word, of hacking the NHS to bits. and, And some people have said that he did it permanent damage. However, when the COVID pandemic struck strangely enough, slightly stepped away from the heat of the fire, Jeremy Hunt becomes this rather sensible, cool, clear head and spokesperson. And when I saw that Jeremy Hunt had been put in charge of uh, the Chancellery, I A, realised that this is now a broadcaster's nightmare because of the potential slip-ups you can have with pronouncing his name, as has been wildly (laughs) happened in the past. But you also think, well, hang on, the whole point of the Conservatives is to be electable. So he's electable. There are a couple of things to unpick with Jeremy Hunt. One, he's experienced. And a big criticism of the team that Liz Truss has put together is that none of them have any experience. In fact, some might go so far as to say there's a undergraduate whiff uh, <laughs> or even stench that emanates from the cabinet. And this is part of her problem. So it's one experience that she's gone for. The second is the wing of the party that he represents. Now, Jeremy Hunt was a big backer of Liz Truss's much derided rival, Rishi Sunak. And Jeremy Hunt, of course, himself had a go. He comes from what's called the One Nation wing of the party. And I guess you could really, in 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 very broad terms, the best way to describe this to an international audience is to describe him as a moderate. And Liz Truss is a right winger. Um so well, she's actually a libertarian right winger, but let's not let's not get into the weeds too much. So what this is is Liz Truss really acknowledging the disquiet and rancor that's been caused within her own parliamentary party about the fact that she really didn't elevate or bring into the tent any of these moderate figures, any of these experienced wise heads. In fact, she cast Rishi Sunak and anyone who supported him to the backbench to the wilderness, where I might add they are now spending all their free time drawing up spreadsheets, plotting and gathering numbers to oust her. So, I mean, not only was that very silly in her own self-interested way, it's also stupid because we don't have some very experienced people in the Cabinet. A really good example of that is Grant Shapps. She told him that he was the most effective minister in the Boris Johnson government. He was the former transport minister. He's a very good communicator, very good on social, um, very good at getting things done, gets his hands dirty and, you know, for the most part, he's pretty inoffensive. She tells him, you're the best, but I'm sending you because there's no room in the tent and you supported Rishi. 
So this is actually a very big conciliatory gesture from Liz Truss, and she is hoping that this will calm that wing of the party and send the signal that, hey, you're going to be listened to by this guy who's now got more authority than Kwarteng had because he gets to come in, draw up the terms and conditions with which he accepts this job, and he has made those clear. And today he's already out there saying more taxes will probably go up, uh, spending cuts are likely to happen, and so you do need to get, be prepared for this, but we'll protect the most vulnerable from the energy shocks. And it gives them the fight to send the centre ground, which which Labour is now occupying a little bit more. Um, just in terms of sort of stepping back and looking at how history will view this, um, it's quite Darwinian, isn't it? <laughs> that, that, that idea that, you know, the, not only the survival of the fittest within the Conservative Party, which is, you know, which, which many say were the, you know, the most powerful political party in the world due to its electability, but also it, there's a really good article in the New York Times today that basically tries to place this within history. And when you have um, European leaders and world leaders having an absolute nightmare trying to make sure that they can steady their economies, um, everybody's now looking at what's happening in the United Kingdom as a cautionary tale. This will make economic chapters in the future when people will say, this is what Britain tried and within two minutes they'd crashed the currency, pension funds had started to fall apart, the Bank of England had to step in, everything went bananas. It's one of those things that, you know, it's really the ultimate case of live and learn, unfortunately, with an entire nation, with the world's sixth biggest economy. Yes, and this uh, article in the New York Times, which makes exactly those points, stepping back and looking at the structural kind of lessons being learned here and on display is exactly the same that our Chancellor in Australia, Jim Chalmers, has been saying in some interviews. And keep in mind, these are allied countries. You don't get closer in terms of security relations than the US and Australia with the UK. And our Chancellor, Jim Chalmers, has said, we're, we're watching this because this is a really good example of what not to do. And there's absolutely no doubt that in another decade's time, if you and I are still sitting here, we will be opening uh, our perhaps our, our children's or nieces and nephews' textbooks and be showing them the chapter on Liz Truss, whether that's in how not to communicate, how not to form a government, how not to govern, or how not to wreck the economy. These will be chapters that absolutely Liz Truss will go down in history for. She will absolutely leave a legacy, just not the one she would have envisioned. We may well be, have been Prime Minister by that stage, because frankly, <laughs> I don't know if, we'll, we'll I don't know the if there's anyone left. Standing. <laughs> it is absolutely incredible that we are now in a position where um, I don't think there's anyone left in the Conservative Party who hasn't either had a go at being Prime Minister or hasn't been considered to be Prime Minister. And, you know, that's really the point. I was sitting with one of Rishi Sunak's supporters just a, a week or two ago, and they made this point. We're really down to the end of the class of, you know, 2010, the, the talent that David Cameron brought in. Um, talent, mind you, that David Cameron didn't have on his front bench because he promoted all the good talent. That was, he exhausted it. And now we've we've really, to use the term, scraping the barrel. Who, and, who would be a politician now in the UK? Because there's, there's, there was a thing a couple of years ago when after post-economic crisis, no one went into banking, so everybody went into law. And then... 
everybody realised that you can make an awful lot of money if you're clever and you don't have to be a politician because you don't make an awful lot of money if you're a politician. And also, if you stick your head above the parapet, which you don't have to do if you're a banker or a lawyer, then uh, you'll get absolutely hammered. And, a, and the public life of a politician now is an utterly, utterly thankless one. So you get two kinds, don't you? You get either the, the, the ones who are um, sort of policy and uh, sort of they, they have a mission, to, to change politics and then the other ones who possibly have a sense of entitlement that they thought, you know, it's what it's what I was always told I would do. Oh, hell, Emma, why not just be a professional arm, armchair critic? I mean, we get all <laughs> the care, no responsibility. <laughs> we just get to sit here and say how terrible everyone is and wouldn't it be great if someone could do it better and never put our, our own... Um, uh, you know, skin in the game. But seriously, of course, it is very hard to be a politician, but I do think that it's a calling. A lot of people are, are naturally born to, to follow and, and desire. And, you know, we do need to be, I think, sometimes a little bit more gentle on politicians. They're attracted to these things because they have these supersized egos. But you do need to have a supersized ego to run the country. You do need to have an ability to cast off criticism where it's necessary to do so. Listen to the criticism when it's valid and justified. Uh, but you do need these enormous personalities to run the country. And I want those enormous personalities to, to run the country. I want to grow up to run the country. I don't mind. I love this, the thing that the, the Labour leader a couple of weeks ago, Keir, Sir Keir Starmer, said and, and he has been criticised for being slightly lacklustre and being very sort of dry and overthinking his comments, in public at least that he, someone said to him you're, you know, you're dull. What is, what's the problem? You're not a good leader. And he went look, do you want me to go bungee jumping? And when if I come back, am I going to be a better Prime Minister? Frankly, anybody who's got a clue would be would be welcome here at the moment. <laughs> I think we're seeing the advent of the boring left leader, aren't we? We've got Joe Biden often mocked by the Republicans as Sleepy Joe. In Australia, we've got uh, a guy called Albo, um, who's a very kind of dull, lacklustre character, but he's turning out to be quite a good prime minister, a centrist. Someone is that how you've shortened him, the Australian? You're that's, so good at shortening His words. Twitter handle, handle is actually Albo M, uh, MP. His, his full name is Anthony Albanese, uh, but he, everyone calls him Albo. And, of course, Olaf Scholz in Germany, you know, a very kind of boring, dour figure, uh, actually doing very big things in Germany in, in redirecting its foreign policy from its pacifist stance, sending weapons to Ukraine, now dealing with its own energy issues and the legacy of Merkel. I think that this is maybe a time where we've all had some big, big characters in politics globally, and now we're kind of saying... Oh, you know what? I think I'd rather just watch Game of Thrones for, for the drama. <laughs> Thank you, Latika. Let's hear now from Monocle's contributor, Andrew Muller, for his take on what the past seven days have taught us. But we warn you, this was recorded before Kwasi Kwarteng took that flight back to London. We learned this week that sometimes bad things do happen to bad people, which, and we've done the maths on this, is good. We learned that the bills continued to arrive for years of rabble-rousing tub-thumping on the part of foil-hatted fulminator Alex Jones, after yet another jury declined to display any sense of humour about his years of claims that at least one of America's traditional school massacres was a hoax. 
We learned that the latest amount owed by Jones to the families of eight Sandy Hook victims and one FBI responder was $965 million in defamation damages, with further punitive damages still to come. There are many implications and indeed ramifications of this judgment, which may be summarised as follows. We further learned that Jones was taking this with the equable humility which has long been his trademark as he broadcast himself reacting in real time to the verdicts. 57 million, 20 million, 50 million, 80 million, 100 million, blah, blah. You get a million, you get 100 million, you get a 50 million. And we learned that Jones' attorney was a man similarly endowed with an ability to bring a sane, rational and tactful perspective to bear upon proceedings. From my perspective, this is as dark and disturbing an experience in court as I have had in a professional lifetime. And that includes cases involving the death of children and the murder of spouses. What we probably learned most profoundly from this whole thing has been, don't hire a lawyer with a ponytail. But we also learned from dropping by the storefront on Jones' website that the grift inexorably continues. We learned that the Alex Jones did nothing wrong t-shirt is reduced from $29.95 to $4.95 and that a waiting list has opened up for Jones' Wake Up America Patriot Blend Coffee. Organic coffee, it says here, which sounds a bit fancy pants, book learning, highfalutin, liberal elite to us, if we may say so. But we learned and once again marvelled at the fact that the biggest sellers at the Infowars Tat Bazaar and the key to Jones less impressive than this time a week ago wealth are the vast range of health and wellness supplements, including Primal Youth, Carver Chill and Brain Force. Man has gulled millions out of millions by almost literally selling snake oil. You kind of have to admire it. Anyway, sticking with the theme of burly, lumbering, belligerent predators and people taking liberties with the rules... We learned that this year's iteration of Fat Bear Week had been marred by chicanery. For the benefit of the uninitiated, Fat Bear Week is a thing run every year by attention-seeking Alaska Nature Reserve, the Katmai National Park. The shtick is basically that viewers can tune in to watch brown bears scoffing salmon in preparation for winter hibernation and then vote on which, in their view, is the most pleasingly rotund. This year, however, Fat Bear Week was balked by an attempt to stuff the ballot at the semi-final stage on behalf of the bear officially numbered 435, the 2019 champion. The ne'er-do-wells who attempted this sting were not sufficiently subtle to evade the diligent invigilators overseeing Fat Bear Week, however, and the suspect votes were deleted, clearing the path to the final and eventual victory for Bear 747, also 2020's winner, a creature possessed of dimensions appropriate to his numerical designation. A fair result seems to have been arrived at, but we can only mournfully reflect that this wretched corruption of this previously wholesome diversion is a sign of the times. <coughs> 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 
Look, ursine, as in the adjective denoting something related or pertaining to bears. Ursine, this is a very good joke and not, as you ignorant troglodytes have errantly concluded, a bad one. What? I'm not sure. Uh, what? Uh, what? Uh, I don't know that one. Really no, good? no. Yeah, sure. Please yourselves. Elsewhere in media outreach news, we learned that the comms team at Ukraine's Ministry of Defence has been going through its parents' record cabinet. We learned that by way of thanking France for a recent consignment of Caesar self-propelled howitzers, Ukraine's MOD had confected a video of chocolate, roses and idyllic Parisian scenes, soundtracked by Serge Gainsbourg and cannons. So we learned that the hitherto slender catalogue of music combined with artillery, it consists in ascending order of merit of Tchaikovsky's 1812 Overture and ACDC's For Those About to Rock, had been swelled by fully 50%. And here in the UK we learned that as Liz Truss appeared at her first Prime Minister's questions, since her Chancellor performed the economic equivalent of betting the national economy on the 315 at Lingfield Park, Parliament's Communications and Digital Committee was being addressed by an actual robot. The role of technology in creating art will continue to grow as artists find new ways to use technology to express themselves. You know where we're going with this, so let's get through it quickly and we need never speak of it again. Yes, Parliament heard from an unconvincing mannequin with stilted, hesitant delivery, and there was also a robot. My thanks to Andrew Muller for that. The time is 9.25 here in London. Finally today, let's head to the Utopian Hours Festival taking place in the glorious Italian city of Turin. The three-day event is trying to improve life for city dwellers across the world. David Stevens produces Monocle's The Urbanist and luckily is there for us. Uh, buongiorno, David. Buongiorno, how are you? Very well, thank you. Good to hear um, that you're out and about and, and exploring Turin. So tell us a little bit about Utopian Hours for those of us who might not know much about it. Of course. So uh, Utopian Hours is uh, it's in its sixth iteration here um, here in Turin. It's run by uh, Torino Stratosferica. Actually now Stratosferica, they're keen to uh, you know emphasise that they're actually looking beyond just Turin. But it is uh, based here in Turin every year and it's really the perfect place for this kind of thing. And that's what I'll be exploring, a bit of a plug on this week's uh, episode of The Urbanist coming up. But uh, also it's been really interesting to kind of look around the city and, and see how this kind of entrepreneurial and also city building spirit is uh, it's woven into the fabric here. You know, it's a, you've, you've been in, it's a grand old city, big industrial past, but that's kind of behind it. So now there's, these big, big wide roads, these big empty spaces, all kind of ripe uh, for for some interesting experimentation. And um, um, what's the experimentation that everybody's talking about? Well, I mean, the the, the list of uh, speakers isn't Turin based. It's kind of more to bring that conversation to a place where that's already happening. So, let me tell you about some of the schedule that uh, kicked off yesterday, technically, but a lot of it was in Italian and. My Italian's getting better, Emma, but not quite good enough to uh, understand hours of uh, Italian-only talk. So my schedule kicked off yesterday about uh, 6.30 with Amanda Burden, who is 
Um, actually, keen urbanist listeners would have heard her last week uh, from City Lab. She's a Bloomberg associate, um, and she's also the New York uh, Department of City Planning. Uh, well, she was the New York Department of City Planning head from uh, 2002 to 2013. So you would have heard of the High Line, Emma. Uh, the High Line is uh, Amanda Burden uh, creation. Um, she was really, really interesting talking about the work that she did in improving and uh, replanning a bunch of neighbourhoods in New York. But coming up today, and uh, you, you like this, Emma, how do you design a city on Mars. Uh, Vera Mugliani will be talking about how just to do that. Uh, she's from Mars City Design. And I guess, you know, that may seem a bit uh, futuristic, but the point is that she's helping us to design for extreme environments. And uh, I don't know if you've read the news, Emma, but extreme environments might be coming the way of Earth uh, sometime soon as well. So very, very helpful and interesting conversation. Do we know, I mean, it's, it's that idea that you have a total blueprint, isn't it? You can start again if you've got Mars, but you, but it's, you know, it's, a, it's an extreme place to set up shop. Do we know, I mean, do we have any idea about what will be said in this, in, in this Martian master plan? This one, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to it very much. But one I can uh, tell you a bit more of a preview of is the closer uh, for this evening, uh, Majora Carter, who uh, is in the business of talent retention. Um, I spoke to her yesterday, and she will be uh, closing tonight's uh, proceedings. But, uh, yeah, as I say, talent retention, but in communities, especially low-income communities, you know, how to make sure, and this is one of her quite famous quotes, no one should have to leave their neighbourhood to live in a better one. So she's all about kind of encouraging home ownership in communities to to generate you know that that generational wealth and entrepreneurship to bring service to those communities and to give a sense of pride so that people can can stay in the places that they they live and love and and not have to leave them to go somewhere better. She she uh, also I mean she's full of quotes. Uh, this is one that you'll you'll hear on the upcoming urbanist. But she said if you don't build it they will leave. A, a great remix of if you build it they will come. Um, so, yeah, she, she's going to be really interesting, and that's a little bit of a preview of what uh, she'll be speaking about tonight. So you've just given us a hint that this is going to be the focus of the next episode, at least of The Urbanist. What, what, where, when, when and where and how can we be hearing more about this? Oh, thank you so much for allowing <laughs> me to plug. Uh, this, this, will be, this will be this Thursday's episode uh, out at 20 under London time. Um, to tune in wherever you get your podcast. It's going to be a good one. David Stevens, thank you so much for joining us on the line from Turin there. Uh, Letico, City on Mars. What, what, what are we having up there? On Mars? Yes. Well, haven't we all seen The Martian? We're growing potatoes, aren't we? Apparently. Okay. Apparently. So we go to potatoes. It could Mars. be quite futuristic. I, I, I do like that idea. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure I'm quite up there yet. but um, I'm, imagining, it... I'm imagining like the Elizabeth line. You know, very white uh, surfaces, curved. You go in, you feel like you're in the tunnels of underneath something. I'm just thinking of the long haul trip up there. It might take a little while. Oh, I, I think I think the Elon Musk's and the Bezos's and all those other very extremely wealthy men will will get us there fine, Emma. They're halfway there anyway. <laughs> trust, <we? laughs> trust in trust in Musk. <laughs> Latika Burke, thank you so much for joining us in the studio. That's all we have time for today's edition of Monocle on Saturday. Many thanks to our studio engineers, uh, Sarah Nickel and Christy O'Grady. Monocle on Saturday returns next weekend, but don't forget to tune in to tomorrow's edition of Monocle on Sunday, airing at 10am Zurich time. Tyler Brulé will be your host for that. But for now, from me, Emma Nelson, goodbye. Thank you very much for listening and have a great weekend.